0: Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of
1: Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. So Carmen, on a previous episode, you were out in the distillery district with Alan Fryer, and I think maybe you all m- took a, a little karst tour, a karst geology tour, and headed over to McConnell Springs. So how was that visit?
0: That was great. So we started out at Town Branch in the distillery district, and we got to see some of the karst features there, in kind of more of an urban setting, uh, what we think of urban setting with parking lots and so forth around. And then went to McConnell Springs, and McConnell Springs is a little bit of an oasis in downtown Lexington. You actually get out there, and you forget you're still in the city, somewhat you hear the sounds around but there's lots of trees around Uh, there's definitely some karst features and it's kind of a nice park that you can get away from it all
1: well mcconnell springs is kind of special to me carmen i don't know if you know this or not but that's where mark and i got married is it yeah so we we picked it out um, because it was a nice outdoor setting and um, although i will say they have done some huge improvements to the park in the last 10 plus years and, um, well, most of the honeysuckle's gone. We had lots of pictures with invasive species behind us, but only our nerdy biology friends really uh, yes, knew sir. the difference. <laughs> um, so yeah, you mentioned that McCall Springs was really involved in the early settlement of Lexington. So let's hear what Alan, um, let listen to Alan describe all of the land uses that we know have historically happened on this ground that's now a city park.
2: We're at McConnell Springs, which is a city park in Lexington. McConnell Springs was actually the site of the founding of the original settlement of Lexington. Uh, Folks from William McConnell's family, I believe, were here in 1775 when they got news of the Battle of Lexington, like Lexington and Concord at the start of the American Revolution. And McConnell Springs has served multiple purposes over the last 200 and, what are we, 43 years. Um, McConnell Springs originally was a water supply for the people who founded what became Lexington. Uh, It has subsequently been used for things as various as a grist mill where the water coming out of the spring, it was used for grinding grain. Um, I believe also it was used at one point early in the 19th century for producing gunpowder because Kentucky has lots of caves, because we've got limestone geology and the rock dissolves relatively easily. Um, The bat guano from caves was used to make gunpowder, which was used, for example, during the War of 1812. I did not know that. Yep, And subsequently um, McConnell Springs was used for distilling that uh, the water was used for producing bourbon. Um, In the 20th century, McConnell Springs, what is now McConnell Springs Park was actually the site of a dairy operation. And so it doesn't look anything like it does now. We're in a patch of woodland um, surrounded by residential and industrial areas. It's kind of an oasis. And a lot of the trees that we see, with at least one prominent exception, a bur oak that predates the founding of Lexington, have grown back here after having been logged off for agriculture and other things. Uh, after McConnell Springs was a dairy, uh, the area in the, I believe, 1970s and 1980s was proposed as uh, an industrial park to extend some of the surrounding land use. and. Uh, The person who owned the property at the time proposed to actually fill in this entire valley, the springs are located in a valley, uh, and in effect pave over it. Uh, Before that happened, uh, this person um, went bankrupt, and at that time Bank One, now Chase was the lien holder and worked out an arrangement with a community organization called Friends of McConnell Springs to uh, help with the acquisition of the property to become a nature area and a city park. And so now it's used a lot for environmental education. I bring my classes down here. um, School groups come down here. I know that other faculty at UK use this as well. And it's a pretty remarkable place. It's a ten minute drive from campus. What else did you tour while you were there?
0: So while we're at McConnell Springs, um, we went along and went down to what they call the blue hole. So you can take one of the trails and walk along the boardwalk and go to this area where all of a sudden water just starts coming out of the ground. And it's got a really deep blue color to it. And I spent some time asking Alan, why did this hole just come here? and why is it the color that it is?
2: The water is originally coming from the rain, but not much is the rain that's falling on us right now. This is a spring, and the spring is basically where underground water intersects the land surface. And this spring forms much like caves form in limestone because the rock is capable of being dissolved by the carbon dioxide that's dissolved in rainwater, that's dissolved in soil water, and so you get flow paths being created where cracks have been widened as the rock is slowly dissolved away over a period of years. What happens here is that water is coming from close to the UK campus. Um, There are several what are called sinkholes, places where there are depressions in the ground where water runs in and then infiltrates or soaks into the subsurface. Yeah exactly like a funnel and from those sinkholes water then flows underground a couple of thousand feet and emerges here at McConnell Springs at this first spring that is called the blue hole and it's called the blue hole first of all of course because it's a hole in the ground but also because the color is kind of a faint blue in part because there's a little bit of sediment suspended in the water and that helps to kind of scatter the light much like if you see pictures of lakes in the mountains.
1: Carmen in a previous episode we talked about karst geology can you give us a quick uh, recap on what karst is just in case our listeners miss that or if they're like the rest of us and that's been a couple days ago so they can't remember
0: yeah exactly uh, karst is really rock that's going to dissolve it's underneath us so we don't notice it as we're walking on the surface but it's made out of seashells um, lots of calcium in there from creatures that lived hundreds of millions of years ago 400 million years ago or something along those lines and as the rain falls through it, the rain's slightly acidic, it starts to dissolve that rock. And it dissolves it unevenly, so you'll have little cracks and holes and fissures and things like that for the water to flow through. So think about it as kind of like Swiss cheese underground.
1: Oh, yeah, that makes sense.
0: It, in McConnell Springs is, is actually
1: even more unique because of that geology. Um, we have talked about what a watershed is, in previous episodes as well, but let's listen to Alan talk about um, how, how kind of complex the McConnell Springs watershed is. So let's listen to him.
2: The water that originates here actually comes from another watershed. The watershed is the area into which all the water that falls out of the sky runs and moves into a particular stream and we are currently standing in the town branch watershed but the water that comes to mcconnell springs actually comes out of the wolf run watershed which is the next watershed to the south and then goes back into the wolf run watershed so this is a little kind of isolated area and what's happening is because in this type of terrain which we call karst which is formed where rock that is soluble dissolves, you can have water in effect being diverted underground into an adjoining watershed. And in this this case, it's diverted after a few hundred feet back underground into the watershed that it came from.
1: Carmen, we just heard Alan talking about spring water and the perceptions or misconceptions about spring water.
0: Yeah, when we hear, when most people hear spring water, they think of a really clear, clean, pure source of water. And as we've mentioned, and Alan's talked about, karst isn't, uh, it's very interconnected underground. And so we can have water from areas we wouldn't even think about coming out uh, at the blue hole. When that water comes out, when it's run off the land and it goes down into that karst, it's not just water that goes. It's also sediment or nitrogen or phosphorus or maybe potentially bacteria or other things. So spring water, just because it says spring water, doesn't mean it's necessarily clean and pure water. So I
1: shouldn't just drink it because it's bubbling out of the ground? No, you should not. It's not just magic that cleans it up. I thought it was just crazy to think about golf balls traveling underground and popping up in a in a spring as well.
2: Well my favorite story, I'm not sure that it's true, it may be a myth, but I think it's true, is a story of golf balls coming from the sinkhole that's the main sinkhole that feeds this spring, the blue hole, because that sinkhole is on the edge of the Picadome, the Gay Brewer Golf Course, that gives you a sense of how something that is on the surface can wind up moving through the subsurface and coming back up. Of course, that's a bit exceptional, but what's not exceptional, unfortunately, is like on a day like today when it's raining, or given that we've recently had snowfall and a lot of salt has been put on the road, that what's in the water that runs into the sinkholes is carried underground and comes back up. And so that includes not only things like road salt, but also other things on the road like motor oil or like gasoline or like antifreeze. Or if people have put lawn chemicals on their yards, pesticides, fertilizers. Um, If people don't pick up after their pets, pet waste and the germs that are associated with pet waste can wind up going into the water, moving underground, coming back up. And that's why people often think of spring water as pure. And unfortunately, particularly in urban environments, in this type of terrain, because it's not well filtered, you may be drinking whatever ran off the road or ran off the yard. If you think of water soaking into the ground, if you think of something like uh, bowl filled with sand or a fish tank. If you add water to the surface as water moves downward under gravity, stuff will get strained out in the small pore spaces between the grains of soil or sand or sediment. Um, In addition, some of the stuff that's dissolved may adsorb onto those grains. Think of something like static test. cling. Yeah, it's it's being chemically attached, um, sort of the way like a water softener behaves. The challenge in karst terrain is because you have these bigger holes, these kind of throats, um, I'm making motions with my hand, but you know, maybe the size of a grapefruit or the size of a basketball that open up, it's almost like a pipe that runs straight into the ground. Yes, there will be some soil or some sediment in that pipe, but water can still move through it almost at the same speed that it would move downstream. And so there's not going to be as much time or as much contact area for filtration. Less than 100 feet downstream, it winds up sinking again and it goes perhaps another 100 feet, and then it comes out at the second of the springs, at McConnell Springs, which is called the boils. And it's called the boils because of the way the water looks when it comes back out under artesian pressure after a heavy rainfall, the water actually looks like it's boiling. What's happening is that it's actually just fountaining, that it's coming up like in a pu- in a water fountain, like in a park, um, where it's under sufficient pressure that it comes up above the surface of the pool, if you will. And then it runs another couple of hundred feet down and winds up going to what's called the final sink, which is kind of like a small cave. And then it winds up at another spring uh, called Preston's Cave Spring, about a third of a mile away. And then it doesn't sink after that. It stays on the surface and ultimately winds up in Town Branch, which joins Elkhorn Creek, which joins the Kentucky River, to the Ohio, to the Mississippi, and to the Gulf of Mexico. So if you think of the chemicals I talked about, particularly fertilizers, some of what we put in our yard may wind up going to the Gulf of Mexico and having harmful effects even there.
1: So, Carmen, you were at McConnell Springs, but as we know, and most of our listeners, I think, understand, the water goes somewhere.
0: It does, and when we started out the Blue Hole, it flowed along eventually into a small stream and that spring stream just disappeared and it then pops up further down in what they call the boils so the water is going on the surface underneath it and back up at that point though where does it go Um, Alan was talking about all this interconnection of it going from the small headwaters where we're at to eventually reaching into the Gulf so things that we have going on in Lexington Kentucky can actually end up down into the Gulf of Mexico.
1: And I think that feeds back to one of our previous episodes where we talk about how um, states as far away as Minnesota influence the Gulf of Mexico, and Kentucky is not as far as Minnesota, so we definitely have an influence because all of our water eventually makes it into the Mississippi River.
2: One of the other things that I neglected to mention in terms of possible impacts of water is if we have sewers that are leaking, And in that case, some of the germs, if you will, or some of the nutrients that are in sewage may wind up seeping into the groundwater as well. And so in central Kentucky, from urban sources, but also from agricultural sources in this type of karst terrain, um, we can have water quality impacts that don't just affect us locally or affect ecosystems, locally but affect people and ecosystems all the way to the gulf of mexico
1: well carmen what can we do you know we we talk about the the problems and the the potential um, hazards of activity that can impact our water quality but in terms of protecting our groundwater you know what are some things that we should think about
0: i think a lot of things same things that we think about when we Think about protecting surface water not uh, changing your oil and having that spill on the ground not over fertilizing so you have extra nitrogen and phosphorus that runs off uh, picking up after your pet waste Um, if you're in say using best management practices if you're in agricultural production that's going to limit the amount of sediment and nutrients that can get into there and alan talks a lot about how we can do those things and there's some other ideas
2: as well we can think about what people, for example, in the ag community call best management practices, which is limit the amount of chemicals you put on your lawn. Uh, We naturally have high levels of phosphorus in our soils, and so if you're applying fertilizer with phosphorus, um, you don't need to have a lot of phosphorus, Um, otherwise that could stimulate um, algal blooms and other things that are harmful to aquatic organisms. Um, We can make sure we're doing things as simple as not littering or picking up trash from other people. Um, And we can try to make sure that our elected officials and other people in the community who are responsible for issues like water supply and like um, wastewater disposal, know that we consider it a priority to try to control chemical applications on the surface to limit what winds up moving into our springs.
1: I find it interesting, Carmen, that, you know, we, we've talked about how, uh, what a hidden gem McConnell Springs as a park is for um, people in central Kentucky uh, and visitors from all over. But another thing that I thought was interesting um, was let's listen to to Alan as he describes how artisans have influenced or been influenced by our limestone and our karst geology.
2: It isn't like the limestone we see in other parts of Kentucky because we don't have big caves that form. I mentioned that our limestone here is kind of muddy or dirty when it was first deposited. One of the characteristics that results from that is that it makes really good fencing stone or flagstone because it parts pretty easily, it splits pretty easily along planes of weakness parallel to the layers of the rock. So it's
0: like plates?
2: Yeah, basically. And so, there were artisans who came to Central Kentucky, basically um, immigrants from Ireland, subsequently um, enslaved African Americans, who I understand learned from the Irish immigrants, who became artisans in terms of using this material to make dry stone fences. And even now, along some rural highways in the inner bluegrass region, you see these dry stone fences and historic markers for them. Now, part of what we're seeing is some of this stonework where the stone has actually been cemented together or mortared, but originally it was done, as I said, in almost an artisanal way where people could figure out how to build the fence and have it hold together to a height of perhaps four or five feet without using any mortar and so we can see the water now that we're at the boils sort of fountaining sometimes it can be as high as two feet above the water you can
0: see the bubble it does look like boiling water
2: um and where we are now um is almost like a cave the definition of a cave is a little bit flexible, but basically, it's a hole in the ground big enough for a human to crawl in. And you could crawl under the ledge there, but you wouldn't have a lot of room to hold your head up. It's like a
0: fairly thin person. Yeah, you'd,
2: it's maybe, maybe a foot above the water's surface. But the caves that we do have in this region, again, kind of reflect the fact that our rock is kind of muddy limestone and so just like you can split the blocks of rock apart to make these stone fences, when the rock naturally weathers, when it erodes away, that you get caves that are kind of elliptical. They're very flat and wide rather than something big enough for someone to stand up in. Now there are a few caves like Russell Cave for example in this region that are big enough for somebody to walk around in, but this is more typical. This is the one that I know of best, and I think part of why this is distinctive is because you have this kind of two-stage spring here that you have the blue hole and then another sink where the water from the blue hole is funneled below ground into almost a natural pipe, and so you have very tightly focused what we call discharge or flow coming out. Whereas at a lot of other springs, it tends to be more distributed or diffuse. I am sure there are other places in the region where you can see this. This is the best example that I know of. And the great thing is it's publicly accessible seven days a week. It's free. There's no access charge. Um, It's pretty cool. But one of the reasons why McConnell Springs was not as extensively studied was because of its history, because there was a lot of trash in the springs. Um, Before it became a park, this group Friends of McConnell Springs put in a lot of volunteer effort and there were photographs of people pulling old tires out of the springs and the sinkholes. And so what that meant was it was not as easily accessible for study as it is now. But I think increasingly, Students at UK, other researchers at UK, are recognizing the significance of McConnell Springs, even though it's a park, even though it's no longer used for public water supply, because, in effect, it integrates a lot of the water that falls on the ground in the southwest part of Lexington. And so this gives us kind of a way to understand what processes impact the water quality here.
0: So now with the park and a lot of the cleanup and stuff like that, it's actually, you're actually able to access it and get back there and, and do those sort of things. So I'm, I am would love to see, it'd be really interesting to see over time as we start to um, change some of our practices and stuff, how does the quality of of those practices in the surface really start to flow out into McConnell Springs? You know, I grew
1: up around sinkholes and I grew up around a culture also that sinkholes were sometimes used as as dumping grounds and he calls them going away holes.
0: Had you ever heard that term? I have. uh, I grew up where I grew up in Tennessee. We had a lot of sinkholes as well and it was very agricultural area and a lot of people called them the going away holes because you would put your trash or whatever there and it would just go away as it sank into the ground. Um, As we've heard on this podcast and others, that's probably not a good thing because what goes into the ground is not just it's not buried like you would think of with a landfill it actually is going to pop out somewhere else so as Alan's pointed out that golf balls were found coming out at McConnell Springs that other trash is going to be coming out somewhere else too so let's listen to Alan talk about a new area of research
1: that some of his students are embarking on and that's with medical waste and I hadn't really thought about that before I hadn't even used-
2: some of the things that are distinctive to Lexington, like the fact that we're a major medical center, and so part of what we're trying to do is to see if we can detect background concentrations of medical waste at low levels in the water in McConnell Springs, because the basin that McConnell Springs drains, the water that flows to McConnell Springs flows past several hospitals, and so if we detect chemicals that are associated with the hospital activities, that's probably not an indication of dumping, it may be an indication that the sewers are leaking slightly. And so part of what we want to know is to what extent that may still be affecting the water quality in this area. It's not just the water itself, even the organisms that are in the water, as you know, can be used as indicator organisms, the plants, the invertebrates, such as certain aquatic insects. If you have certain types of organisms, certain communities of organisms, you can tell that the water quality is actually relatively good. Um, If you analyze the chemistry of the water, you can also get a sense of how healthy or not the ecosystem
1: so, we can hear from Alan's discussion about Lexington being a med- major medical center, some of the hazards that might be here. That's something that we maybe don't usually think about, but as our urban centers grow and develop, especially in an area like central Kentucky with karst geology, it's very important for us to keep in mind that everything that we do impacts our water. Like we said earlier, if it's on the ground, it's in our water. That's true. Thank you for joining us for another episode of KYH20, and you can learn more about McConnell Springs and Karst geology on our website, as well as listen to our other episodes.
0: You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH20. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH20.